We worship the one that will be victorious. And even as we go through this series on Satan, I hope you get the picture. And I really hope after this morning, you get the picture that God will not be defeated. That Satan is no match for our God. If you want to take your Bibles this morning and turn to what will turn out to be our jumping off point this morning, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, first book of the Bible that we looked at last week in the temptation that took place. This morning we continue our series on Satan. Perhaps the most famous of all feuds in America is the feud between the Hatfields and the McCoys. The feud began in the year 1864 when Confederate soldiers, William Devil Ance Hatfield and his cousin Jim Vance murdered a former Union soldier by the name of Asa McCoy because they believed that McCoy, during the war, was responsible for shooting one of their friends. The Hatfield-McCoy feud ran for over 30 years. Uh, Some would say it lasted a lot longer even than that. Uh, the, The feud ended with a treaty, a handshake, and forged kinship between both families. Though the feud began in 1891, and there was this truce uh, agreed to, they didn't shake hands on it till 1976. And then it took till June 14th of 2003 for the truce actually to be signed between the two families. But there's a feud that's gone on and continues to go on that's much longer than the feud of the Hatfield and the McCoys. And that's the blood feud that is going on between God and Satan. If you'll remember last week we looked at Genesis chapter 3 in verse 15 where God said, and I will put enmity, that means war, It's a battle. I will put a blood feud between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now notice it goes from the offspring to a particular offspring. He, a person, one of Eve's offspring shall bruise your head. Literally means to crush the head. A wound will be given to the head of Satan. He will be crushed. But Satan, you shall bruise his heel. This enmity, this battle is raging. 
And we are going to see this morning very quickly, and I'm going to ask you to stay with me because I'm going to move very quickly through a lot of things in the Old Testament as we see how this blood feud is unveiled throughout the Scriptures. And all the different ways that Satan goes about trying to keep the promise from God from becoming a reality. But friends, I want you to know, and you're going to see, that when God says he's going to do something, you know what? He's going to do it. And as we look at these various stories throughout the scripture, there are going to be times that Satan is going to think, I've won, only to see what he thinks is victory turned into total defeat for him. And ultimately, the head of Satan will be crushed on the cross, something we're going to look at in detail next week about what happens on the cross. But this morning, we're going to kind of trace this blood feud that God announced in the garden up to the cross of Christ. So we're going to begin with, after this has happened, Eve has two sons, Cain and Abel. And if you know the story in the Bible, you'll know that Abel follows after God, but Cain does not. And they both bring offerings to God, and Abel's sacrifice is received, and Cain's sacrifice is rejected. And so what happens? Cain is so upset. What's he do? He murders his brother Abel. And who's behind this? None other than Satan. He is a liar and a murderer. See, if we eliminate Abel, he thinks, then Eve's offspring will never come about and that promised event of the head of Satan being crushed will not occur. Well, God confronts Cain, or actually we see the murder in Genesis 4, 8 to 10. Cain spoke to his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me. From the ground. Abel's eliminated. Satan's won. No, he hasn't. Because God sends Seth. In Genesis 4.25 we read, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. Eve rejoices. So what does Satan do now? Well, let's corrupt the line of Seth. Let's corrupt those who are the children of Seth. In Genesis chapter 6 and verses 5 to 7 we read, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. Man becomes so sinful, inspired by Satan, that God says, I need to destroy them all. They are so evil. But God has a solution. The solution comes in the name of a man by the name of Noah. And we're told in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in his eyes. Not because Noah was deserving of it, but because God decided to show grace to Noah and God's plan continues. But you know that while Noah is living and people are so wicked that God sends a flood a worldwide flood. In Genesis 6, verses 11 through 13, we read, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. All of mankind to be destroyed. But what did God do? He made a way for Noah through the building of an ark. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Noah found grace, and then he walked with God. He was righteous, and through the ark, Noah and his family are spared. And so God defeats Satan once again. So they come out of the ark, and God tells the people, I want you to scatter and go throughout all the earth. But Satan inspires them instead of spreading out and filling the earth to go to a city, the city of, of Babel. And there together, they are going to build a tower into the skies. Listen to what Genesis 11, 1 to 6 tells us. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Instead of honoring God, let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. 
And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Once again, it's like the whole world has become wicked and has rejected God underneath the inspiration of Satan. And so God gives them different languages, and they are scattered. And Satan thinks again that he is one, but God raises up a man by the name of Abram. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord God said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God raises up Abram. And Satan now knows in Abram and in his descendants, that's where the promise of this offspring is going to come. That ultimately the one who will crush his head is going to come from the line of Abraham. And that is why there is such hatred for the Jewish people to this day. Because Satan knows that through Abram's seed, through the nation of Israel, will come the one who will ultimately be victorious over him. So Abram is raised up. And so we go through many years from Abram, his son Isaac, his grandson Jacob, and then we have the story of Joseph. The book of Genesis takes a great deal of time talking about Joseph. And you'll remember how God sends Joseph ahead into Egypt so that his family will be ultimately saved from the famine that is in the land. So about 200 years after Abram, Joseph is in Egypt. And Joseph dies. And you know the story of Joseph, how he arose till he was number two in the land. And so what is Satan going to do? Once again, he has a plan to murder. And he will murder, or he will plan to murder, the male boys that are born in Egypt. We read in Exodus chapter 1, in verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And then in verses 15 to 16, we see, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of which was named uh, Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. And so we have the, the planned murder of all the male children in Egypt. And who's behind that? None other than Satan himself. But these midwives, God uses so that the the male children are not destroyed. They are not killed. 
We read in Exodus 1, 17 to 20, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous. And they give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. God used these midwives and said, hey, the the Hebrew women, they're not like these Dini Egyptians. Before we could even get there, they've already had their babies and they're up and around. God has made those, those, those Hebrew women strong. So we go down through history. And in that history, we have David. And to David, the promise is made that from his descendants, one will sit on the throne of Israel and will rule the entire earth. So Satan now knows that this planned offspring, it is going to come through David and through his descendants. So from the time of David, about 150 years later, there comes a queen to the throne. Her husband has died. Athaliah comes to the throne. And actually, she is the mother of the king that has died. And so she wants to make sure that her throne is secure. So Satan inspires her to kill all of her grandchildren. Athaliah. Now think of, you may thought your grandmother was tough. But here is a grandmother who wants to wipe out anyone who could be a threat to her on the throne. And we read in 2 Kings 11.1 that when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal family. Kill them all! then there'll be no no threat to me being upon the throne. But God has another plan. And Joash is protected. We read in 2 Kings 11, verses 2 to 3. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Athaliah so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land." She protects him, and she takes him to the priests who protect him, and they keep him safe until he's around six years old, and then they announce him 
as king. And Satan is thwarted once again. So about 200 years later, Satan has another plan. If we can't eliminate the, this offspring, maybe we can get God so upset that he will curse one of these kings. And that is the case with a king by the name of Keniah who comes to the throne. And in Jeremiah chapter 22, in verses 28 to 30, we read this. Is this man, Keniah, a despised, broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. A man who shall not succeed in his days, and now get this, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. None of his offspring will ever prosper sitting on the throne. Now from what we can determined, Kaniah had seven sons. Some of them may have been adopted. But as far as a continuing dynasty was concerned, Kaniah was considered childless. And there's various explanations for this, but I'm going to give you the one that I think is the, the right one. Although the line of his descendants retained the legal rights to the throne, no physical descendant of Kaniah would ever prosperously reign on the throne of David. So how is Christ going to reign on the throne of David and be in the line of Kaniah? Well, there's a solution to this problem, and the solution to it is called the virgin birth. You see, through Kaniah, in Matthew, we have the genealogies, one of the genealogies that is given, and that is the genealogy of Joseph. And through Joseph, Christ has the legal right to sit upon the throne of David. But Mary, whose genealogy is given to us in Luke, is not in the line of Kaniah. And God wins once again. And that's the importance of the virgin birth. You know, Rick shared in his testimony, you read all of that in Matthew, why is it there? There's a reason it's there. To show us that Jesus has a legal right to the throne. And in Matthew 1, verses 22 and 23, we read, All this took place to fulfill the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, I must go quickly, so stick with me. In the book of Esther, about 100 years after Kaniah, we have an evil man by the name of Haman. 
in the Persian Empire who decides he's going to destroy all the Jews. And he gets permission for a law to be passed for that to happen. But once again, God intervenes. Now, I'm not going to read Esther 3, 8, and 9 where he gets this law passed to where the the people in Persia will have the ability to just go and kill the Jews. But God overrides Haman's plan through Esther, and there is deliverance given. And because the law of the Medes and the Persians couldn't be changed, they wrote a new law that said that the Jews were able to defend themselves on that day. And the Jews may have taken a little extra uh, Uh, little extra liberties and they attacked their enemies and they wiped out everyone who was going to attack and seek to kill them. And Satan's plan is thwarted again. We move forward 500 years or around 500 years and once again Satan reverts to the plan of murder You remember in Matthew chapter 2, we have the story of the wise men coming to King Herod and telling them of the birth of the king and wanting to know the birthplace. And they end up going over to Bethlehem and they worship. But after they worship, God appears to the wise men and says, don't go back and tell Herod. And then Herod becomes enraged. And you know the Christmas story. What does he do? He orders that every child two years and younger in the city of Bethlehem be murdered. Once again, Satan behind the scenes uh, working. But God gives deliverance through an escape. An angel appears to Joseph and tells him, get out of here. And they went to Egypt. Jesus is born, he's protected. After Herod dies, his family comes back into the land of Israel. Jesus begins his ministry. And at the very beginning of his ministry, and at various times during his ministry, Satan seeks to kill him. We're talking about before the cross. When he announces his ministry, the people take him out. They take him to a cliff that they want to murder him on. But Jesus passes right through their midst and they cannot lay a finger on him because the power of God defeats what the people want to try to do. And there are other stories throughout the Gospels to tell us where they want to kill Jesus. But no one can kill him until it is his time to go to the cross. And then we have the cross, which we will look at in great detail next week, and how Satan's head is crushed on that cross. Satan enters into Judas to get him to betray Jesus. We see Satan behind all of this, but we see the victory of God because as Jesus is upon the cross, he cries out, it is finished, it is over, Satan's head is crushed, and to show that it is true, Jesus comes forth from the grave and we have the resurrection. 
In Luke 24, they're told, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Enmity. Blood feud. Do you see how it goes all throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament? And even though Satan is defeated, and we'll talk about that next week, he continues as a defeated foe to fight against God. And he will do so until he is ultimately cast into the lake of fire. But get the picture. Who wins in all of this? God. Whose word will be fulfilled? God's. So my question this morning is, what side are you on? Are you on the winning side? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that you can be delivered from your sins? If not, why not? There's a story that's told and there's various versions of this story. But it's told of an artist who painted a picture entitled Checkmate. In the picture, there is a young man who's playing chess against the devil. The loser would become the servant of the winner. In the painting, the devil is declaring that it will be checkmate in three moves. The young man's pale face reflected the horror upon hearing those words of impending defeat. But a chess player by the name of Paul Murphy once saw the picture. He was in the home of a friend, and he asked his friend to bring him a chess board, and he set it up exactly the way it was in the picture. Suddenly a smile came across his face, and he says, young man, I wish you could hear me right now. The game is not over. There is another move that you can make. And in two moves, you will checkmate the devil. My friends, Satan may think he is winning. He may say checkmate. But nobody checkmates our God. He will always win. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for revealing to us through the scriptures how you are victorious over and over and over again. Father, I would pray that each and every one of us here this morning would put our faith and trust in you and in you alone for our salvation. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.